This podcast is presented by State Farm, a proud supporter of women's soccer and all women's sports. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'd like to hear who each of you thinks uh, will win. <laughs> and uh, no no cheating. It'll be count of three. You'll both say it at the same time. And uh, if All you right. disagree, um, that's the end of your relationship. <laughs> <laughs> From Apple News, I'm Rebecca Lowe. And I'm Brendan Hunt. And this is After the Whistle. He's happy. He's back. Happy as a stretch. <laughs> On today's pod, my cheeky lionesses are through to the quarterfinal, but not without some controversy. And a few days on, we have plenty more thoughts, shock, about USA's results. We're going to talk about the difference between controversy and controversy, (laughs) and we'll be joined by newly minted Premier League minority owners and football soccer power couple JJ and Kalia Watt. And reminder, there will be adult language. Here we are, Rebecca. Two days after the U.S. loss, I'm feeling better-ish, trying to move on. But, you know, it'll take some time. We're at the end of the round of 16, down to a final eight. Lots of aftermath from the U.S. still to be discussed, and we will get to that. But should we start with your sweet, sweet English babies? Oh, let's please get into it. Now, first of all, we scraped through. Scraped through. We thought Sweden scraped through by a millimeter. My cheeky lionesses. Extra cheeky, Brendan, reaching the quarterfinals. Nigeria hit the bar multiple times and their expected goals figure was much more than England's. And they just outfought us everywhere. They shackled uh, Lauren Hemp and, and Russo up top. They struggled. We had no midfield to speak of in terms of fight. It was very unexpected, I would say, from England. Um, that's before we get to Lauren James, which we will. Nigeria were the better team, quite frankly. Um, in a funny way, when Lauren James went off, it became harder, as it so often does, Brendan. We know that in football. When a, when somebody gets sent off, sometimes playing against 10 men weirdly becomes harder than playing against 11. And actually, that's what the Nigeria coach said afterwards. It became harder. Um, England had a penalty claim on Rachel Daly for a push. The referee gave the pen, then went to the screen, changed her mind. I wasn't screaming and shouting. I thought it was soft. I I want there to be contact in this game. Yeah, so I'm fine with that. But really, there wasn't a huge amount to talk about. So we've got to talk about the red card. A few minutes to go in the game. Lauren James had been pretty inconsistent. She'd had moments of brilliance and moments of real Lauren Jamesness in the first 87 or whatever it was minutes. But she drifted in and out of the game. And that is often the case, Brendan, when you're a young player. And that is actually pretty much, I think, why she didn't make the England squad last summer for the Euros, because she's just not yet consistent enough. She's 21 years of age. But this is the thing. The stamp, I mean, what is it with England and their best players and moments at major tournaments? World Cups, I should say. 1998, I was on a plane going to Greece with my 14 best girlfriends for a Zakynthos holiday after a school. And in those days, in 1998, of course, when you're on a plane, ain't no way you know what's happening in an England game until you land to find out that David Beckham had flicked out at Diego Simeone and got sent off. And with him went our hopes of winning the World Cup because, of course, in 1998, just like every other World Cup, we thought we were going to win it. 2006, we thought we were going to win that one too. Germany, Wayne Rooney, stamping on... Ricardo Carvalho. Off he went. 
and off went England's chances of winning that World Cup with the quote-unquote golden generation. What part of Ricardo Carvalho did he did he stamp on? I'm trying to remember. I think it was the um, crown jewels. Mm. Mm. Probably a red card. That's probably a red card then. Yeah. All right, carry uh, yeah. on. Yeah. Um, he was 20. Rooney was 20. Beckham was 23. Lauren James is 21. Of course she has to take blame. She's 21. She's not 31. She's 21. She shouldn't have done it. She knows that. She's come out and she's apologized afterwards. But I do think that Serena Viegman maybe is slightly culpable by leaving her on the pitch. She had had a very frustrating game. There were moments not long before the red card, Brendan, where she was getting a bit snappy in challenges. And I've been at so many games when you're like, okay, all right, the the manager's got to take her off or him off because you know it's coming. And you kind of knew it was coming and then it came. And of course, she's got the red card. So that's one game she misses. But FIFA have the jurisdiction to give her a three-game ban, which will see her out for the rest of the tournament if England were to make the final. So definitely one, maybe two, maybe three. So I think the manager needs to take a little bit of flack on that one. The good news and where Beckham and Rooney, it ended so badly for them was that England went out. With this situation, England went through. So thank It's a whole Lord. new Rubicon, Rebecca. It's a whole new Rubicon I, of, of England star stamping. <laughs> this is not I, how it's supposed it, to go. It's not. As I'm sure you remember, David Beckham, would, they, they hung effigies of David Beckham around the country. You know, 10 heroes and one stupid boy was the front page of the Daily Mirror in 1998. Wayne Rooney was dispatched as a kind of useless, hot-headed kid. Obviously, he went on to do great things. He was always hot-headed. Um, what I'm glad about is that Lauren James is not going to be subjected to whatever on earth she was going to be subjected to. So thank goodness there won't be that abuse um, hurled her way and we can move on. And fingers crossed FIFA are like super busy and just like, no, no it's fine. Yeah, one game's fine. And we get her back um, if we were to make the semifinals. But now England have to play Colombia. Good luck with that. Penalty shootout. England win by four goals to two. Georgia Stanway misses hers. But Beth England, Rachel Daly, Alex Greenwood, and then Chloe Kelly. Chloe Kelly, the epitome of a big game player, steps up, does a funny little deer hop. Have you seen it? It's called a pre-penalty prance. And then (laughs) slots it home to absolutely send us through to the quarters. So that was the story. Oh, one other thing, Brendan, that's really interesting. Yes. England have been, as you know, rubbish, rub de la rub at pens down the years. The FA, about four years ago, invested in this gigantic penalty research project. And since then, absolute world beaters, absolute world beaters, men and women. Just if you want to know how to take a pen, just, uh, except unless if you're Harry Kane, come and see us. When I would hear, um, you know, as I was getting into soccer in the 2000s, and when, you know, one of the first things you learn there is like how bad England are at penalties. And you would read, they're like, oh, no, we don't really practice them. The fuck you don't? <laughs> tournament after tournament? You go out and can't possibly, can't possibly replicate that pressure on the pitch. You can replicate kicking the ball into the goddamn net, you clown shows. Jesus Christ. No, 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 can't do it. Can't do it. So the fact that they finally <laughs> come around well, and it's only taken, you know, 30 years of failure is, uh, is I guess, heartwarming in its way. But, but Brenda, what's so funny is that the tagline of this report is, we don't practice them, we prepare for them. Oh, that's the stuff. That's right. what they needed. Right. That's, <laughs> that's the good what stuff. they needed. Right there. Right there. So anyway, moral of this incredibly long England segment is England are in the quarters, but they're a little bit lucky. 
But uh, I know you want to jump on that bandwagon. I well, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it. Although, I mean, I'll tell you though, if they play Australia, which they certainly appear to be headed toward, um, and it would be a massive, massive event oh. in Australian sport history, just if it happened, yeah. um, I will be, uh, I'll be Matilding my way into that match. No, uh, I mean that's totally fine, and I, I get that, and and I, I actually. Just side note, think if England don't win the World Cup, I think Australia might. I know you're going Japan. I think I might now change to Australia. But this is why I'm nervous about England. They've only scored one goal from open play without Lauren James, either scoring or assisting. One goal. So her right foot, whether it be stamping, scoring or assisting, has basically summed up this World Cup for us so far. So let's see. Let's see where we go. But I'm scared of Colombia. I'm not going to lie. I mean, they're quite scary. Very physical. Quite scary. Come on, England. Sorry, I've gone rather long on England today, haven't I? So let's get to the other matches. Brendan, you are on the ground there, down under. What have you seen and where? Okay, so the first one happened that was uh, Spain-Switzerland. I was uh, tooling around the uh, Fox soccer set over there by the Sydney Opera House, saying hi, oh, hi to people. Meanwhile, that absolute beatdown uh, was happening by Spain to Switzerland. Spain was even like, here, have a goal. Just have one. We don't give a fuck. And then, and then it carried on. Uh, watched Japan beat Norway at a uh, at a bar called Cheers. Oddly enough, <laughs> watch it there with a heavily pro Japan crowd. That was fucking great. Holland South Africa match was the only match I've watched so far on the big screen at one of the fan zones. And then uh, the U.S. game. I can't remember where I watched that. After that, um, so the last night I watched England. And then Australia in an Aussie pub. And watching Australia in an Aussie pub, now now we're starting to get into it. You know, it was great fun. Now, mind you, it's a Tuesday night, quite late and a bit of a school night, but still a very, very good time. And I'm so glad they scored before halftime because by halftime, our jet-lagged asses just had to go. We are old. We got to go home. We will watch the second half in our hotel room. So you might have missed what I'm hearing, which is that when Sam Kerr came on, before she even came on, when she took off her tracksuit, like the crowds in the pubs were going crazy just at the camera on her taking a tracksuit top off. Yeah, I, I lament missing that. I mean, just watching it in the stadium, like it was a rocky moment. It was pretty fantastic. And uh, boy, you know, I mean, that's the thing. What a secret weapon. In moments like this, I always think yeah. of, um, I always think of Inigo Montoya. Inigo Montoya, who says as he's uh, dueling with, with his sword, left-handed, he says, uh, why are you smiling? I'm not left-handed. And, uh, and here is Australia <laughs> all the way into the quarterfinals. Like, why are you smiling? <laughs> We usually play with a great striker. Like, mm-hmm. they are not yet fully unleashed yet, and it's terribly, terribly exciting. And then today I watched the matches uh, here in Sydney, uh, in one of them through a VPN, because uh, they don't show all the matches on uh, terrestrial television. What a shame. Yeah, that's but terrible. they did show that's... France on terrestrial television, but still. Yeah, but they need, that, that's the whole point, isn't it? I mean, we don't, we don't want to get negative, but, you know, when we're selling the rights to television broadcasters around the world, FIFA, we need to be selling them on terrestrial television so that we can... I don't know. Should we grow the game? I don't know. I concur. I heartily concur. The two games tonight of relevance. First of all, France crushing mm. Morocco 4-0. So formidable opponent coming Australia's way. And uh, the earlier mm-hmm. match, Colombia beating Jamaica 1-0. The first goal Jamaica had conceded all tournament. Isn't that incredible? That's nuts. Yeah. Um, but Colombia are just sturdy and obviously have been so physical that since before the tournament even started, Ireland had to cancel a game with them half an hour in because Colombia was just getting into it. So that is the that is the opponent England will be meeting in their yeah. uh, Lauren James list uh, form. Maybe Lauren James did that like a game too early. We're talking physicality. She should have saved that stamp. 
<laughs> I'm nervous. Makes me nervous. They're strong. They're aggressive. Mm-mm, no thanks. Well, they're coming anyway. So get ready. Okay, so Brendan, before we get to our guests, JJ and Kaylee Watt, I think we need to take a moment to talk a little bit about the US. Because, you know, this podcast is so aptly named after the whistle, and we stick to that pretty much literally every episode after the whistle. But that means that sometimes we are, well, not quick to judge, but we come in with our immediate reactions, I think it's fair to say. And we're just human, Brendan, you and I, simply humans. We all need just a little Mm -hmm. bit of time sometimes to reflect on the story and then come back with maybe more considered musings. Well, I've certainly changed my mind on a couple of things. Have you? I mean, I haven't changed my mind on anything. I, I'm still, I still do believe, even though apparently a bunch of people don't, that they gave all, and it just didn't work. I mean, I talked on our very first episode, despite picking the U.S. to win the tournament at the time, and this was my big fence straddle of this tournament. There were some odd issues that everyone was saying weren't going to be issues, so I wasn't necessarily expecting a thundering stampede toward a trophy. It should not have ended like this. It should not have ended like this. I mean, my only main observation since then is just like, oh my gosh, 390 minutes of football, gave up one goal and still out. You're out. That is the cruelest, cruelest form of this cruel, cruel sport. It is. It is. Because so often defenses win championships, don't they? And in your situation, like you say, a millimeter and you guys are out. I just had a couple of things. So I was thinking about the Alex Morgan substitution, Brendan. Mm-hmm. I don't think he should have done that. Alex Morgan oh. in the 98th minute. I know, I know. And this comes as a bit of a surprise, but Morgan's penalty conversion rate, general history with penalties and big moments is virtually second to none. She had not had a good tournament, agree. But it would be a bit like... <laughs> And I'm not sure this is a brilliant argument, but it would be a bit like Harry Kane missing a penalty in the opening game of the World Cup and then in the last 16, as it's going to Pence, taking him off. I don't think that was a good move. I I think if you really want a big moment for a big player, she is the big player. And I think as she was called off that moment, I bet she was thinking, Really? I'm li- I've literally come up good on virtually every virtually every moment in my career at the US Women's National Team. You're taking me off? Well, one other important ingredient, though, to that Harry Kane analogy, it's also Harry Kane not having scored for, uh, for four consecutive matches at all, in any form. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't done in a vacuum, exactly. No, I agree. But Harry Kane has scored a gazillion amount of goals, just like Alex Morgan has in his career. It would be... I just think it's a strange thing. I want to check those stats with our research department, please. Can we check those stats? Do we have it? Uh, hold on. They're coming back to me. Yes, it's a gazillion. It is a gazillion goals. Carry on. Told you. Told you. She is the talisman. She is the Harry Kane. She is the talisman. To take your talisman off because you essentially don't trust her to take a penalty because she missed one three games ago. For me, I, I it's taken me a couple of days to come to this. Because I have criticised her in this tournament. She hasn't been up to it, but she's still Alex Morgan. And I think in a moment, I would rather have Alex Morgan take a penalty than not. So that that's one musing. But, you know, Monday morning quarterback, whatever the hell that means, nobody knows. <laughs> I know we haven't got loads of time, but I just quickly want to run through a couple of things. R- Michelle Akers talking about penalty shootouts was so interesting. And actually, again, I've had a lot of time to think the last two days. And I've really kind of gone quite deep and I've read quite a lot and I've thought a lot. And actually, this whole penalty shootouts are a lottery annoys me a lot. She got it spot on when she basically says it kind of exposes you. And it absolutely does. And mentality 
and strength and nerve are all part of being an athlete. They are, whether you like it or not, in every sport. And so for me, I think it's a part of the game that, and you love it, and I and I, I hate it and I love it all at the same time, but I actually think you're probably right, Brendan. Michelle Akers is right. It is the way to end a game. It is a test of a different type of athletic prowess. All right? All right. Okay. So that's another music. Uh, uh, point of order here. I don't know that I love it. I just accept it because I don't know that there's a better way to end a game and you can't let these people just keep running out there until they disintegrate you, you, and you need to have a winner. I do have a bit of a soft spot for the old North American Soccer League version, which is described well in the documentary Once in a Lifetime, which is about the NASL and the New York Cosmos, and it's really great. It's like 95 minutes. Um, <laughs> uh, they would set the ball 35 yards out from goal, and then they timed it. You have five seconds to score on the goalie, one-on-one. -on -one. You can chip. You can dribble. You can just try a laser from there. You can do whatever you want. But so um you know, it, it, it brought a modicum of athleticism to the proceedings, but also a modicum of circus. So it's more of a beat the keeper game. And, you know, they show some footage of this in the documentary. And then they go to Johan Krauf, who played for uh, a couple NASL teams. And, and, and Krauf, famously a cynic about many things in football. You know, like he will, he will give yeah. you the hard Dutch truth about anything. But they asked, you know, Johan Krauf, what did you think of this? And he just goes, I loved it. I, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> like he's talking about his own child. So, you know, maybe, maybe we can have a look at that, that crazy American idea of the, uh, so of, the well. of the longer That's shot clock. So American. They're like, hey, let's take penalty <laughs> shootouts and like really like change it. Let's, do some, like, let's pep them there. up a little bit. Pep oh, them up sure. a little bit. Oh, sure. Okay. And finally, my last musing, Mr. Vlatko Andonovsky, um, mm. I think has gotten off a little bit lightly. Maybe, maybe that's crazy. I, a little bit likely. One Olympic Games, bronze. One World Cup, out in the last 16. Between the two tournaments, Brendan, he won three games and scored 10 goals. And he won one of them on penalties. Yeah. It, it was a bad choice. The tenure needs to end. And the United States need to get what Michelle Akers called a manager with an edge. Let's find somebody with an edge. That is crucial. Don't care if they love him or not. Yeah. I really get annoyed with knee-jerk, gotta-fire-him stuff about managers after a, a thing doesn't go well, but this is no longer knee-jerk because it's, you know, we had the Olympics first. You can't stay in a job with such high standards as this after those two performances, and I suspect he knows that deep down, mm, and I suspect they will take action, but there's no, no need to take action during the tournament. One more thing, you know, it, it's, it's very easy in positions like mine as a journalist and like yours to criticize managers. You know, I hate doing it because I'm married to a former manager who was a manager for 10 years. And trust me, I've seen lows as well as highs. I have witnessed all sorts of stuff, which has been awful over the years, as well as really, really good. Being on that side of things, I know Vlatko Andonovsky went into that World Cup with integrity, with intention, with effort, with heart, with everything. But he, in the end, you have to accept failure as much as you have to accept success if you go into being a manager. And, and the players, just to touch on something you said earlier on, the accusation that they didn't care or weren't hungry is very bizarre to me. I've yet to find an athlete, there might be one or two, but I've yet to find one that doesn't care and isn't hungry for success at that level. Yeah, they don't they don't get this far without that. That's no, impossible. No. So let's just put a little full stop on that situation. Uh great. Mm -hmm. 
This podcast is presented by State Farm, which believes in amplifying the voices and profiles of women athletes. By ensuring coverage for female athletes today, State Farm helps set the stage for women's sports tomorrow. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It is our pleasure to welcome two incredible guests now who just happen to be married. First, NWSL star, most recently for Chicago and before that Houston, plus the U.S. women's national team, Kaylea Watt, alongside three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year and future Hall of Famer, JJ Watt, who is now enjoying retirement but staying busy, as he and Kaylea announced in May that they've become minority owners of Burnley Football Club, who on Friday will be welcomed back to the Premier League with the small task of hosting reigning champions Manchester City. Hi guys, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. It's so lovely to have you both. When we first, uh, of course, put you guys for this date, we we assumed that we would just be, you know, talking about the continued kickassery of our national team. Here we are standing in the uh, emotional wreckage. How's it been for you guys this last couple of days? Where'd you watch that last game, etc.? Yeah, we watched it at home um, here in Idaho, and we are so sad. We have so many close friends on the team, and to see that, it was their best game of the tournament, honestly. And to end in PKs like that, it's just heartbreaking, and we're really close with Alyssa Nair. So that was just both heartbreaking, but so incredible to see what she she did. She's an absolute legend, one of the best national team players to ever play, and we're just we're heartbroken for them. Yeah, we we talked uh, we talked a lot about how obviously World Cups and the exposure and everything helps propel the game forward and helps inspire generations. I mean, it's just so heartbreaking that it came to such an abrupt end here, and this team has been such an incredible dynasty and success up to this point. Kalia, are you of the opinion, like some people, that if you have to pick out a silver lining, that maybe? In the end, it'll be a blessing in some in some way because sometimes you do need to fall to then get back up stronger. And the U.S. women's national team have been so good for so long, and very few have chased them. But now they're being chased. Maybe there'll be a bit of pain, only for them to have a bigger gain. Yes, for sure. And I think right now is a really contentious time. Everybody has an opinion on the national team. People are mad. People are defending them. And Honestly, it really just is representative of how much the women's game has grown. There's so much discussion. There's debate. That's what we need for our game to grow and for people to watch and and fans to get involved. And so it it seems like a really negative time right now for the national team. But it's it's been amazing to see how much engagement there's been. And I, I know they'll come back. I never bet against the national team. Even until the end of that game, I thought, no, they're going to win this tournament. So I know they'll come back stronger. They have so many young stars and, you know, we'll we'll be cheering them on every step of the way. Kaylee, in terms of sort of strength of an athlete, the criticism that they're receiving right now, is that just part of the job, in your opinion, in terms of they've done the physical side of it, now they have to deal with the mental side of being an athlete in the spotlight? Yes, for sure. And I think it's just a testament to how much they have moved this game and what they've done with their time and with their platform. They they are icons. And with that comes criticism. And, and um, I think that it just shows the level that they're at. And unfortunately, it, it's something that they have to deal with. But 
you know, we were watching the clips of them crying with their families and you just realize they're human beings and they've been working their entire lives for this moment. And it, it's so painful. So to see, to see the criticism is hard, but I know they understand that they're at a level that, that that's what comes with it. And, and they know how to deal with that. Um, shifting gears ever so slightly. Um, JJ, I'm curious, what has been sort of your, your soccer journey? I'm sure you did not imagine yourself 15 and 20 years ago owning a piece of a soccer team in a northern English mining town. So how did we get here? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it, I started in 2011 watching the Premier League, and I really enjoyed that and just started to get into it. Didn't really know anything about it, but was fascinated by it. And I started following Chelsea. It's no secret. I don't hide that I, I did start following Chelsea because of Didier, Didier Drogba. Uh, he was my favorite. And I just started learning about it. I was fascinated by the transfers, by how it all worked. Um, and then obviously I met Kay and started to learn a whole lot more about tactics, about how the game works, about the beauty of it and everything. And here we are today uh, on our way over to Burnley on Thursday afternoon to go see them play the champions, Man City, on Friday. And it's been a whirlwind. It's been a crazy experience, but it has been one of the coolest, greatest things, and I'm so excited to be a part of it. And we have, we have just a blast with it. I'm, I'm sure Kay will tell you that I've jumped in both feet first, and maybe almost too passionately about it. But I'm, I'm all in on it. I love it. First of all, cannot wait to see you both on Friday at Burnley. It's going to be an epic evening uh, for all concerned. But just how much of your day, both of you, is taken up with Burnley? Because obviously you guys have other projects going on, but it feels just from the outside watching you both on social media, it's it seems to take up a lot of your time, Burnley. Like you say, you've jumped in all the way in. So just talk us through how, I guess, how much is your life now Burnley Football Club? Yeah, you know, when, when JJ first started it, I can admit I was... Like, are you, are you sure? Like, what are you talking about? He really had this idea and vision and I wasn't, I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but it's been so much fun. Um, we've gone over there twice now and, um, we just fell in love with the town, fell in love with the people and the club and the ownership group is just absolutely amazing. So we've loved every second of it. And, you know, right now we're just trying to bring it to America and get more eyes on it. And so that's really what we've been working on the past couple months, but we cannot wait to get back over there and, and get back to turf more. It's been fascinating. It's been a really fun process from many different facets, from a business standpoint, um, being able to be in the board meetings, being able to look at the, the financials of it and being able to have those conversations about the transfer window, about what your goals are, about what you want to do. Um, also from a marketing and a branding standpoint, having discussions about, merchandise and sales and how we can grow in America and how we can build that fan base. And, um, and then probably my favorite part of it all is Vincent company is, is an absolutely brilliant mind. And to be able to have conversations with him and to actually discuss tactics and watch film together. And he, I zoomed into his staff meeting and he was putting up clips and asking things about how he can relate things to the NFL and what we've seen in the NFL that might translate to the premier league and, so just being able to have those conversations with a guy like Vince and to, to talk through those things, it's really fascinating and I've loved every second of it. Just one final question for you both from me. Um, whether it's women's football, Burnley, Premier League, you guys are both perfectly positioned to see how football has grown since you have been playing it in Kaylee's case and watching it since 2011 with you, JJ. 
just talk to me about the next 10 years. What do you say? Yeah. You know, I think that, um, this, this is been incredible. This world cup, the last few years, seeing the way, um, soccer has grown football has grown in America, seeing Messi come, but I really do believe we have not even seen the beginning of it. I remember in the NWSL when we were fighting to, to keep teams afloat and fighting to, to stay in the league. And now to see these valuations of teams and people trying to get in any way they possibly can, it's just, it's such a cool thing. It's been, it's been a, a long road for, for soccer in America. And I think that it's, it's really just the beginning. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, obviously, there's a World Cup and an Olympics coming up in America. It's only going to continue to drive attention and focus on the sport. But I would also say it's thanks to people like you two. I mean, to you two have helped grow the game and helped build this fan base into something uh, wildly incredible. I think you should take your credit and your appreciation for that because it is very special in two very different ways. Um, but it's it's continuing to grow like that. And it's fun for us to now see how many more people are asking questions. I mean, a few months ago, not if you said Burnley, I don't think anybody really would have known what you're talking about. Now people are asking us, where can we get a Burnley Jersey or what time is that first Burnley match? Like it's really, really cool to be able to have those conversations with people and um, having more and more people talking about it and paving the way. And like I said, what you guys have done is incredible. So thank you. Oh, appreciate that, JJ. Thank yeah, you. Very, very kind. Um, well, to bring it back to uh, Women's World Cup here before we go, uh, I'd like to hear who each of you thinks uh, will win. <laughs> and uh, no no cheating. It'll be a count of three. You'll both say it at the same time. And uh, if All you right. disagree, um, that's the end of your relationship. Okay. <laughs> so three, two, one, go. Spain. Spain, Spain is yeah. fun. Interesting. All right. Oh, thank you guys so much. I'll see you Friday thank you and we really appreciate you coming on. You. Can't wait. Thank Absolutely. you guys. Thank you guys. Can't wait to see you Friday. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, gang. On or off the pitch, women athletes deserve to be recognized for being awesome competitors and for being inspiring role models for generations to come. That's why State Farm is proud to present this podcast. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, Rebecca, the quarterfinals are set, and I believe we had to go through the uh, professional obligation of making a prediction as to how uh, things will no. be going up to now. Has anyone been keeping track of that? Our, our crack research I squad, perhaps? No, anyone? I don't, I don't no? Really remember that. You don't? No. Oh, Let's no, I have again. it here. I have it oh. here. Um, <laughs> I have here. I got uh, I got seven of the eight right. My only mistake was uh, believing too much in my people. But everything else crushed <laughs> and, uh, it. Was I similar? Very similar? Well, uh, I mean, I, Listen, Brendan, it's weird how good you are at predictions. We've got to address this. I mean, I'm not being funny. Is there some sort of insider trading situation going on here? Small, it's weird. Small sample size. If we were to do this for 10 World Cups in a row, there'd be a reversion to mean <laughs> and, um, and it would come back around your way. But right now, yeah, yeah, I'm a fucking genius. Give it to me. <laughs> All right, quarterfinals then. Quarterfinals. Spain, Netherlands. Spain, Netherlands, I feel like because I'm in, in the future, I shouldn't even try to tell you what times of day these are. Shall I tell you the American time? Sure, sure, sure. For our listeners. So Thursday, the 10th of August, is Spain, Netherlands, and it's at 9 p.m. Eastern. Good time. Good time. 
Solid time. time. The West Coast, yeah. And then you got uh, Japan versus Sweden at the mm-hmm. wonderful time of? 3.30 a.m. Eastern. Let's go. Oh, that's great. Let's go. That's great. That's going to be great. <laughs> that's Friday. Saturday, Australia, France, and Brizzy. In Brizzy, mate. That's at 3 a.m. Eastern. These are getting more <laughs> minging as we go on. Saturday, England, Columbia at Stadium Australia in Sydney at 6.30 a.m. Eastern, which is great for the Eastern Knock. So good for the Brizzy? Um, Brizzy, mate, yeah. Brizzy? What are you talking about? Brizzy's, l- it's, rack off. It's Brizzy, <laughs> mate. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, are we going to go through who we think is going to win these things? Uh, Well, sure. Or are we revising or you're sticking? I mean, my picks are on record and I'm, I'm going to stand by each one of them. Yeah, you are. All right. Well, I'm going to go Spain beating Netherlands. I don't, I've no idea what I said before. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This is not what I had before, but I believe I had uh, the Netherlands beating Spain, and uh, but I think that's actually in trouble now because without Daniela van der Donk, who is suspended yeah. for uh, yellow card accumulation, Spain actually should probably run that. Japan against Sweden, we're both going Japan. Australia against France, we're both going Australia. Yeah, but it's gonna be a dogfight. It's gonna be really, really okay. tough. I, it's gonna be a great, great game. And England, Colombia, are we both going England? Yeah. Okay. That's right. All right. And then, okay. Mm-hmm. England, Australia makes me feel sick in the semifinal. <laughs> All right, mate. So any other bits and bobs for us? So uh, predictably in the aftermath of a, you know, a tournament that has to be called a failure on the part of the U.S., there are various pundits and people from outside the sport, especially, who are taking pot shots at the team. And um, there have been enough of them that it kind of actually highlights the amount of great sportsmanship that there has been in this tournament. And one of those uh, moments of sportsmanship is actually specifically about the people taking pot shots at the U.S. One of the Sweden's players, Kosovar Aslani, said, defending against the inevitable criticism, don't talk shit about the U.S. women, which is just wonderfully blunt. She went on to say, I think you should be proud of your team. They're taking the fight not just on the pitch, outside the pitch. I can't remember a time a player from one team has said, don't talk shit about the team we just beat. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I think that is fucking badass. But there have been quite a few moments like that in this tournament. I, and frankly, I think it's it's better to to highlight those than the uh, the people taking pot shots, because the people taking pot shots just want you to say their name. That's all they want. But we've had some lovely moments, haven't we? Yeah, I know. I agree. Um, Australian players hugging some of the Denmark players when they were crying at the end. In the England game, Chloe Kelly and Alex Greenwood. And Chloe Kelly just scored the winning penalty. But having celebrated, she very quickly went over to the Nigeria keeper who had a really good game um, and consoled her and tried to hug her. And I think, I think that is the point, Brendan, is that these women understand the assignment. They understand that they are trying to grow the game together. They're all on this bus. It's a very unique situation. It's not happening in men's football. It's only happening in women's sports, this kind of thing. And so they have to club together. They have to go shoulder to shoulder to push the game forward as one. And so I think it's a brilliant example to set for young kids watching. And it has warmed my heart at the times that I've seen it. And it feels like, not to exclude you, but it feels like all women together. You know, moving it forward. So it's been lovely. You, you're welcome to come on the on the bus too. Thank you. All right, Rebecca. Well, let's uh, enjoy these games, and I'll see you in a couple of days. Hey, everybody. Uh, be sure to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, where you can also rate and review us. It really helps people find the show. And for round-the-clock tournament news, scores, and standings, check out My Sports on the Apple News app, where available. So would you call it the Big Brizzy or the Izzy Brizzy? I don't know, mate. I just call it Brizzy. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to England this week to Burnley 
Talk like that in Burnley. Talk like that. <laughs> but honestly, just come to me for every accent that you could ever want. Hey up, Chuck. 